Exciting to see you guys here today. Uh, my name is Daniel Stevanis. As Trevor said, Stallion uh, for my friends, and I am the director of student ministry here. I have the privilege of pastoring our student ministry team as well as our students, our middle schoolers and high schoolers, and it really is such a privilege to serve God uh, in this capacity. I'm excited also for this morning, just the opportunity that I have to open God's word with you guys and, and look and share and, and, and see what he's teaching us, what he's wanting us to learn uh, through our time together. We've been in this series called Debatable, and I'll be honest, I, felt, I feel like extra qualified to talk about debatable things because as Italians, and you guys know this, I grew up in Italy, Italians are very good at debating because Italians are very opinionated. Like, it doesn't matter what we're debating, what we're talking about, just, we're, we're just good at it. And so I grew up in high school, and I remember debating things in class. I quickly learned, in fact, that if you could be passionate enough about something and debate about it, the teacher would get involved, and eventually she would join the debate, and then you would waste class time, and if you hadn't done your homework, guilty as charged, uh, it was okay because you had lost time and she'd forget about it. It was awesome. When I got to Bible college, I would debate sometimes just to kind of stir people. I would go and ask a question and, and just kind of like let something drop and then kind of back out of the conversation just to see where the debate would go and how far. I'd love to play devil's advocate in those situations. And Italians are so good at debating. In fact, they actually have a hand gesture. Now, I, I got to clarify, this is not a bad hand gesture. Someone asked me about this, but Italians will oftentimes go like this. We actually have an emoji for this now. Okay, this is the hand gesture. And, and it basically means anything that has to do with like, wait, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What are you saying? And, and typically you can tell how passionate or, or an Italian is or, or how much of a part of the debate or how, how intense it is based on how much and how quickly and how violently they're moving their hand. You know, if it starts out like this, it's kind of like, wait, what are you talking about? But when they're going like this, it means that they're really getting into it. They're really serious about it. You know, one time I had a debate with my sister and we had gone to visit my aunt for a holiday. I don't remember what it was, but I remember it was my aunt, my sister, myself at the house. And when my sister got there before the meal, she had brought an appetizer for us to share and she had brought some hummus. Now, hummus was, was on the come up back then. It was a couple years back and it was just like, it was the popular thing to eat. There was all the different flavors. It was still kind of new. It was exciting. And so she brought some crackers we dip in and the veggie platter. We were dipping it in the hummus. It was awesome. It was delicious. And so we were enjoying that, and then it came time for the meal, and my, my aunt brought out the salad with all the food, and she was like, oh, wait, I forgot something. She turned around, grabbed another container, and put on top of the salad some chickpeas, garbanzo beans. And in that moment when she did that, my sister like, kind of like, was like, ah, oh, I hate that. I hate chickpeas. <laughs> I just kind of looked at her. I said, let's, let's, I said what, do you, what, what do you think hummus is? And she was like, well, not chickpeas. And slowly my hands started to come up. I was like, what, what do you mean it's not chickpeas? And she said, no, there's so much other stuff. There's flavors, there's other ingredients. I said, it is 99% chickpeas. It's simply chickpeas ground up to make hummus. I said, sure, they put flavors, they put other stuff, but, but hummus is chickpeas, chickpeas is hummus, it's the same thing. And even when we looked it up on Google, she still, because she was Italian like me, had a strong opinion against it and said, no, I just, I just don't think, I just don't know. I was like, it says it on the website. But Italians are good at debating. So we've been looking at some debates and some different arguments, some different topics that, that sometimes we disagree about when it comes to, to scripture, things that we don't know or things that, that maybe we have these questions by ourselves or maybe we, we've heard our friends share them with us or maybe we would never wanna tell anyone, but some topics that, that are maybe controversial or hard for us to think about. And Chad did an amazing job the first week and he kicked things off and he said, is God real? And have you ever wondered that? Have you ever laid in your bed awake at night and like, man, is this really real? 
Is God real? And, and he went through beautifully through scripture and he said, there is a mystery that has to do with God and we don't fully grasp, we can't fully understand, but God is personal and he lets himself be fully known. And so we have the opportunity to come and to meet him and develop a relationship with him, even though there's some questions that we don't know that we can't answer. Last week, Trevor did an incredible job. He talked about the Bible, the scriptures. Are they relevant? Does this still apply to us today? People are talking about this all the time. That's a question that people have, a question that people ask. Maybe you've asked that yourself. And I'm so happy because, because that's one of the things I'm super passionate about. As a historical document, the Bible is, is 100% reliable. It, it's, it's more reliable than, than some of the, the texts that we quote from philosophers all the time. But he said, is this still relevant? And he explained to us, how do we interpret scriptures? How do we read it in a way that we understand what it's saying so we don't navigate it and say, wait, what about this or what about that? But we understand that we have to understand it in its context, in its truest meaning. That's something we've dedicated our lives to as, as followers of Christ, as, as pastors of people who've gone to, to, to school for four years to learn how to study the Bible. It's something that I'm super passionate about. And today, we're tackling the easiest topic of them all, the purpose of life. You see, I think each and every one of us who's spoken in this series has kind of argued like, no, that's the, that's the easy one. No, that's the hard one. No, I've got the hard one. I think whoever is presenting feels like they've got the hardest one because of the pressure of having to share it and having to, to navigate these questions. And I gotta be honest with you, I, I, we don't take this job lightly. I, I've, I've spent time in prayer and study over this and, and I've gotta be honest with you, I feel like God has been working in my heart, showing and revealing and teaching me. And my prayer today is that as we look and talk about the purpose of our lives, the purpose of, of what God has for us, that you would be challenged and encouraged and blessed in our time together as we talk about what is our purpose, just as God has done with me. And so when it comes to purpose, we're gonna be talking primarily about two things. The first is gonna be how, and the second is gonna be why. The how and why. If we wanna understand our purpose, our why, the, the meaning of things, and we have to understand, well, how do we even get here? How are we here? So we go back to the beginning of it all. We're gonna look at a lot of verses today, but we're gonna be in two books primarily. We're gonna be in Genesis and then later on in Luke. And so in Genesis, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. This is kind of the, the beginning of it all. You guys know Genesis 1 talks about creation and then it continues into chapter two. And Trevor talked about this a little bit last week. But when we get to, to Genesis chapter two and we look at verse six, it talks about that there was a, a mist going up from the land. It was watering the face of the earth. And then we get to verse seven and it says the ground... Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. You see, scripture says that man was created, was formed by God. And yet, some of us don't agree with that. Some of us would disagree. Some of us would question that. Some of us would ask, wait, are you really saying, are you really saying that a, a divine entity, a divine being took time and created some of us ask ourselves, man, is it really possible? And, and I've got to say, as we look at scripture, uh, it seems so clearly what God says, he, he formed man out of the dust of the earth. It seems to imply that God is doing something unique, something special here when he's talking about man. You see, all of creation as God goes through and creates the heavens and the earth and the, the animals and the plants, everything he, he does, he speaks into existence. Let there be light. And there was. Let there be a sea and an expanse and vegetation, everything he speaks into existence. And when he gets to man, he, he changes a little bit. And it says that he makes him out of the dust of the ground. But verse six of the, that, the, that the ground was being watered. And so we know that, that the dust of the ground mixed with water creates mud, red clay if you're from South Carolina. It, it produces clay. And, and it says that, that God got down and he, he formed man. 
And it's so interesting because in Isaiah 64, 8, it actually says that, that we are the clay and God is the potter. We are the work of his hand. God took time to form and to create and to put together mankind. Man is, is different from the rest of creation is that he wasn't just spoken into existence. God took time to create him, to form him, to mold him, to develop him. And then it says here that he, he breathed life into him. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You see, in, in, in Genesis, when, when Moses has a conversation with God, the, the personal name of God that he gives him is the name Yahweh. And, and oftentimes when they would write Yahweh, they would, they would take out the vowels. They actually wouldn't even pronounce God's name. They, it was so sacred for the people of Israel that they would just write it. And, and in English, our letters would be with Y-H-W-H. But as you read these in Hebrew, it almost was the sound of breathing. Yod, hey, va, hey. Yod, hey, va, hey. It was this, this sound of breath coming in and out. And the idea is that God is, is putting his breath, his life into mankind as he creates them. He's creating man in a very different and special way. He's forming him from the mud. He's creating what he wants to create and he's breathing his own life inside. Interestingly, both the Hebrew and Greek words for breath is also the same word that they use for spirit. He is putting his spirit, his soul inside of mankind. It's not by accident that when a baby is born, the first thing that they have to do is take a breath. They breathe in. And the, the last thing that someone does when they pass away is they breathe out their last breath. A breath signifies the life that God has give, given man. He has put inside of him and, and he has made man different. He has been made man made is made man uniquely from any other living creature. He's taken his time. He's done a different process. He's created him in his image. Now, there's this, this argument that the scholars will make. It's called the, the watchmaker's argument, the theological argument. And the idea is this, that if you were walking along a field and you came in and, and found a boulder, a big giant rock, you would just think to yourself, well, that boulder just has existed. That boulder is a part of the field. As long as the field has been here, as long as the world has been here, that boulder has been here. But if you were to walk along that same field and you found an intricately made pocket watch, or, or maybe even for today's argument, maybe you found a, an iPhone, iPhone 12, XE, G12, 27, 16-inch, mega RAM, everything, and you found it just sitting there laying and you picked it up and you looked at it and you figured out how to turn it on or take it apart, you would have to think to yourself that someone has designed it because it is so intricate and it's so incredible and it's so wonderfully made. It could have just happened together it's not just a, a chemical reaction of molecules interacting. There's something different that is happening inside of man. And when I say man, I mean mankind. The breath of God is living within us. And maybe you've wondered, is there a purpose to life? Is there a purpose to being here? How did I even get here? But the truth is this, we can't just be a chemical reaction. Think of when you, when you, when you feel extreme love for somebody else. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's your own child. You lay them down to sleep at night. Maybe when you've, you've, you've felt that, that, that joy, that unspeakable joy in, in incredible moments of life. Maybe it's a, a beautiful sunrise or sunset. Or maybe it's an Italian plate of pasta that you're about to enjoy with your family. Man, there's something that happens. It's, it's in music. It's in art. There's something that happens at a spiritual level inside of us. And that is because God has created us and he has breathed his life inside of us. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, he actually says this. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity 
in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. There's this sense of longing, there's a sense of eternity that is placed inside of us that we don't totally grasp, we don't totally understand, we don't totally get, but we know is there. And God is at work inside of our hearts. He has made us. We are his creation. And so from there, the question beckons, if that is how we've been created, if that is how God made us, then why? What is our purpose? Why are we here? What is our mission? You know, when I was in high school, I used to love watching movies with my mom. It was one of my most favorite activities. Uh, I love watching movies, and we love watching action movies. And even more than action movies, we like mystery action movies, like where you had to figure out who the bad guy was, and and there was like this like double crossing and like twist at the end, and you thought you had it all figured out, but no, it was this guy from the beginning that you forgot about. And I love watching movies like that with her, and I remember when I was about 14 years old, the movie Mission Impossible 2 was coming out. I was pumped. Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt, that was his name. And, and, and I remember telling my mom, I was excited about the movie, I wanted to go see it in the theaters, and she said, well, you have to watch the first one first. I said, sign me up. We watched the first one, it was incredible. And then the second one, we went to the theaters and, and watched it, I've watched it many times since. And Mission Impossible 2 has the iconic scene of Tom Cruise, and he's known for doing a lot of his own stunts, and he, he goes rock climbing, bouldering, okay, on like the red rock face of the mountain, and he's, the, the movie starts out, and there's like a first scene, but the first scene with him is him just like climbing this mountain, and he goes, and he gets to the top of the mountain, the helicopter shows up and, and launches this like canister into the ground, and he opens up the canister, he takes out these glasses, puts them on, this is like really high tech for 2002 when the movie came out. He puts these glasses on and they have like, like computer screens. He can see what's happening. It has this little earpiece that comes down and the, the iconic phrase comes on, your mission, should you choose to accept it? And he goes on and tells them all about what's happening and all the problems and how he has to save the world. And then it gets to the end of the message and it says the other famous line, which is, this message will self-destruct in five seconds. And I'll never forget it because if that were me, I'd literally be like, get this off of me, like, you know, like chucking and throwing and get rid of it. But he just kind of like takes his time. He's like, he takes the glasses off. He looks at them. He like thinks about life for a second and he tosses them to the wind. And as he's tossing them, they like explode into the screen and Mission Impossible logo starts. But we know that if you're gonna find out your mission, your, your marching orders, if you're gonna find out what the purpose is, you gotta go to the beginning. And so we're in Genesis two. If you turn one page back to Genesis chapter one, God explains in the creation of man what our purpose is, what our job is, what our calling is. In Genesis chapter one, verse 27, he says this. So he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Man and female, he created them. Did you catch that? Man and woman were created in the image of God. We were created in the image of God in order to reflect God. God has breathed his life into us, his, his, his soul, his spirit inside of us so that we can show and shine that to the world, so that we can reflect that to other people. Just like a newborn baby who looks so much like, like both parents, like, like both sides of the family. I don't know, it's a miracle how that happens. You can look at a baby and you're like, this looks 100% like you, from your family and from the other family. And it's, it's incredible, it's beautiful. And creation is made to reflect the glory of God. We said this last week as we read through Romans. In Romans chapter one, verse 20, is super famous. It says, his invisible attributes, speaking of God, Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. The idea is this, that all of creation points to a creator. If you see that sunset, if you see that sunrise, everything awesome points and reveals the image of God. I brought a mirror for us today because this reflects an image. What's up? 
This reflects the, an image. And so if you see something incredible, it's, it's reflecting that. If you watch Nat Geo and you're watching like, like whales and, and animals on, like on a safari, if you're watching space, whatever you're looking at, all of creation reflects the image of God. All of it was spoken into existence, but when, when God speaks and breathes life into us, it's a little different. It's a little more specific. His spirit is inside of us. In the New Testament, we know that very well. The Holy Spirit, when we accept him, comes and dwells in us, and suddenly we're made to reflect him in a different way. We're made to reflect him a little bit stronger. We're made to reflect the image of God in a way that is different. Oh, I see people in the back row. We're made to reflect the image of God and shine bright. We're made to reflect all that God has. And we're gonna find out in a second what our mission is, what he's asking of us, but we are able to reflect his image because we are image bearers of God, because we look like him, not physically in appearance, but we are made to be in his image and we can reflect his glory to the world. That, we're gonna find out today, is our mission. So if you're still with me, if you're still tracking with me, I wanna look at the life of Jesus because Jesus shows this for us and then reminds us how we can do this. And so we're looking in, in Luke and one of the first things that Jesus does, we know that to find the mission, you gotta go to the beginning. Thank you, Mission Impossible movies. And in Luke chapter four, Jesus is, is in one of his early days of ministry and he finds himself going to a synagogue. And when he goes to the synagogue, he opens up the, the scroll. It says it here in verse 17 of chapter four. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolls the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me <clears throat> to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind and set liberty to those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus starts his ministry, one of his early days of ministry. He goes <clears throat> to the synagogue. He opens up the scroll. Okay, it was like their Bible, rolls it open, finds this passage, and he says, this is what, what, what it's saying. And one of the first things that it says is that, P.S., the spirit of the Lord is upon him. Remember we said the Greek and Hebrew word for spirit is breath. Okay, and so he's like, the spirit of God is upon me. His breath is inside of me. I'm an image bearer of him. And he says, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. He goes, my job, my ministry is to proclaim the good news. And later in this chapter, he goes on and continues to say, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well because I was sent for this purpose. One chapter over in chapter five, he also continues. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Jesus says, my mission, should I choose to accept it? And he does, praise the Lord, is to come and proclaim the good news to the people to come and proclaim a message of salvation to all of mankind. He says, the reason I am here on earth is to let people know who the Father is because he's an image bearer of the Father. Colossians says that, that Jesus is the fullest image and representation of who God is. If you wanna know God, look at Jesus. He says, my mission here is to, is to proclaim the word of God, the message of the gospel. The fact that everyone was created to be in a relationship with God, sin ruined that relationship, and I am here to make things right. I'm here to reconcile, the Bible says, you with God. That's why I'm here. That's my mission. That's the mandate. That's why I'm here on earth, and I need to proclaim that everywhere that I go. And what do we see in Jesus' ministry? He goes from town to town to town to town, and he proclaims his word. 
He proclaims the message of God. A lot of that happens through his lifestyle, through his actions, the way he does things, and a lot of it happens through his words, how he speaks, how he proclaims, what he teaches. Everyone was amazed because Jesus taught a very different message. They were like, this is we're not used to this. And he's like, I'm here to proclaim this message. But there was a second aspect to the mission of God, the purpose of why Jesus came. And I'm gonna get to the point where I'm gonna say that we too participate in this purpose. And the second part of it, it's, it's uh, alluded to here where he says, I came to proclaim the good news to the poor and to proclaim the liberty to the captives and recover the sight to the blind. But there's another portion of what his job here was to do, and that is to, to show the gospel to other people. The, Jesus didn't only come to proclaim the message, but also to show it, to put it into practice, to love the poor, the marginalized, the people who were in need of help. In fact, if you flip over to, to, to Luke, saying in this book, chapter seven, there's this interesting encounter that happens between him and, and John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, we know, had, had spent his life and devoted his life to following Jesus, to, to preparing the way for Jesus, calling people to repentance, from creating disciples, baptizing people, hence the name. And he was very devoted to the cause of Jesus, and he got to spend time with Jesus, and he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but during his lifetime, John the Baptist actually at one point gets captured and is about to be killed for, for no real apparent reason, nothing he had done wrong uh, by, by the hand of, of Herod. And while he's in jail, in chapter seven, verse 18, he says this, he calls two of the disciples to him and he sends them to the Lord, to Jesus saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now, I want us to really put ourselves in the story and understand this for a second. John the, Bapti the, the Baptist had been baptizing people, proclaiming the word, preparing the way, and now he's arrested. He's about to face death, and he finds himself in a, in a chance to send a message to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, are you really the one, the Messiah we've been waiting for, or is there another that we should be looking for, another that is to come? Now, personally, if that was me and I was in jail and I was sending a message to Jesus, It'd be like, okay, here's what's gonna happen. I'm at cell block D, okay? The cell all the way on the outside of the building, second floor, send some help, break me out. But no, but John the Baptist is, I feel like deflated or, or defeated. He says, man, we put our life, our trust in you. Are, are you the one or is there someone else who is to come? And Jesus' response here is beautiful because he could have said any number of things. He could have encouraged him. He could have like called down the angels. He, he could have done whatever. But his response to him and verse 19 is simply this. Jesus answered, sorry, verse 22, Jesus answered and said, go and tell John what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. See, Jesus says, go back to John the Baptist. The encouragement you need to give to him is you need to tell him the things that we've been accomplishing. Tell them the things that we're doing. Tell them about the ministry that is taking place, not just the, the proclamation of the word, but the practical needs that are being met, the way we're helping the poor, the way we're, we're feeding people, the way we're, we're, we're raising the, the dead to life. He says, tell them about those things. John the Baptist had seen miracles. He had seen Jesus proclaim, pro, pro, perform miracles. He had heard messages that he had professed. And Jesus says, remind him of the good work that we are doing. You see, imagine Jesus walks by and there's some guy who's sitting there blind and, and he walks by and the guy says, Jesus, heal me. And, and Jesus says, oh, I can see that you're blind. Let me, tell you about, let me tell you about God. Let me give you a Bible study. Hey, have you checked out this new book? Here you go. Like, no, he, he meets his physical needs. 
Because the truth is this, the physical needs are just as much a mandate or just as much as a command of something that we need to do to help in the mission of God as the proclamation of his word. And the reason I said this message challenges me is because if I'm being honest with you guys, it's easier for me to stand up or or have a conversation with a friend and, and tell them about God's word it's easy for me to explain like, like all the different arguments for why God created us than it is to go across and hand someone some money that's in need. Than it is to go and find someone who's having a difficult time and pause my busy schedule, my routine, and sit down and talk and listen to them. It's easier for me to, to do ministry of speaking and teaching and proclaiming God's word than actually living it out, than actually going and where it gets messy, where it's dirty, where it's uncomfortable, and living that message. And Jesus says, it's not one mission, it's not the other mission, they're one and the same, they go hand in hand. And as followers of Christ, we need to understand that our purpose comes from God inviting us into his mission. He's saying, I want your mission, should you choose to accept it, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. God doesn't need our help, but he decides to minister to the world, to reach out to the world through our help, through us being the church of Christ being his hands and his feet. So we have to ask ourselves, what should we, the church, then do? How do we respond? What do we do with this? How do we move forward in this? And the the truth is that the the application to that is gonna be different for, for whoever you are. Maybe for you, it is starting a conversation. Maybe it's harder to share God's word with someone. Maybe for you, it's harder to serve and to get involved and to back up what God is asking. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is for you, but, but maybe God is asking something different from different people in this room. But ultimately, he's asking us to find our purpose in participating in the ministry and the goal that he has. In James chapter one, verse 22, it reminds us that we should be both hearers of God's word and doers of God's word. That means we don't do one or the other, we, we do both. We put both into practice. We need to listen to what God's word is teaching us and then we go out and we do it. We go out and we put it into practice. In, in verse 27 of James 1, it says that religion, pure and undefiled, is this, that you would look after the orphans and the widows. God's concern, his heart is for the people who need him. The book of Isaiah that Jesus read from is a book that is speaking to the nation of Israel. And God's whole plan for the people of Israel was to be a nation that was different, a nation that was set apart, a nation that would look differently from every other nation. And there was two primary ways that he wanted them to be different. The first way he wanted them to be different was that they would worship God and God alone and have no other gods, no other idols. But the second way that he expected his people to to serve him and, and be different and set apart was in the way that they took care of exiles, of orphans, of widows, of those in need. In fact, the book of Isaiah says that the whole reason that they ended up going in exile themselves was because they weren't following what God was asking of them. They started to worship other gods and they started to not take care of those who were in need. The mission of God, the mission he invites us to be a part of, the purpose that we find is to be involved in the ministry of God's work. John 13, 35, Jesus says that you will know or people will know that you are my disciples by your love. You see, God's plan is that that we would actually be a testimony, a living testimony, the way we love people, the way we treat people, the way we take care of people in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our family, in the whole world. 
that we would join in his mission. And that in doing that, people would say, there's something different about you. There's something about your life. There's something about your conversations. There's something about you that, that I don't understand, but I'm attracted to and I, I need to have. And that through that, we would have an opportunity to share the message of salvation that comes from Jesus. For a long time for me, it was this debate. Is it, is it the message of Jesus or is it the, the works that we need to do? And the truth is it's both and. They go hand in hand. The, the work of loving other people proves our relationship and walk with God. We need to be involved in both. You know, so many of us think that there's not a purpose to life. We just kind of came here by accident, that we just kind of ended up here, that, you know, it's such a short lifespan. We're here today, gone tomorrow. Life is a vapor, Scripture says. And we think to ourselves, there's no inherent meaning, there's no inherent purpose, there's no bigger thing going on. But I would challenge you to get involved in what God is doing. Maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's bearing his image with, with someone that you know. Maybe it's going and reflecting his glory with someone in your neighborhood who needs a special touch or an encouragement. Maybe it's finding someone who needs financial help or maybe it's someone who needs someone to journey alongside of their recovery road. I don't know what it is. But can you go and love someone in a way that reflects their glory, that reflects the image of God and all the things that they're doing, that reflects the love that God has for them? Maybe for you, it's sharing. Maybe just being more vocal about what you believe. I know people always say, I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the answers. It's not about the answers. It's about your relationship with God. Is there someone you need to share and say, listen, let me tell you about how my life is different. Not because I'm awesome, not because I'm, I'm all that, but because God is working in my heart. The mission of Jesus, the purpose for why he came to earth the purpose he offers and extends us to be a part of, to join him in is that of loving the world with both our words and with our action. When we have students and adults and people who go on mission trips or who go and serve, oftentimes they come back and they'll say, something happened when I was serving, when I was loving others, something happened in me more so than I think even happened in them. And that's the beauty of it. When we enter into mission with God, when we join him for his purpose, he works in our hearts. He works in our lives. And he gives us the purpose that we're looking for. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your scriptures and your word. Thank you so much, Father God, for how you speak to us, how you challenge and encourage us. Father, I pray this morning for this church, for the people in this room, people watching online. Lord Jesus, may you stir in our hearts. May you challenge us, either where we need to be bold and proclaim your word with our words, or where maybe, Father, we need to step out in faith and start to serve. Father, put people, relationships, opportunities in our path where we can walk alongside of you, where we can become you incarnate for other people where we can enter into your mission and your purpose. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're grateful that you choose to use us, even though we are unworthy, even though we mess up, even though we don't have all the answers, still you desire us to be willing and ready to be used. We ask that you would do powerful things through our lives.